Welcome to Sim Sundays presented by Gridfinder. This is episode, what is it? I looked it up before. 12. 12. 12. Episode 12 of Sim Sundays. Again, presented by Gridfinder. Your weekly source of, what, what do we have? Sim racing, chit chat, and exclusive interviews over here. This week's episode is sponsored by Track Racer. So if you're looking to upgrade your rig or, you know, just get off of that desk mounted setup, go ahead and go to trackracer.com. And this week I'm joined, as always, by Tom. Tom, how you doing? And why don't you intro our guest this week? Hello, I am doing well. Uh, my feelings are a little hurt because you said I was wearing jorts. And once we established <laughs> that jorts are jeans and short combination, uh, yeah, I'm over it now. I'm over it now, but I was pretty sad. They're actually shorts, which is chino short combinations. But chino shorts. Yeah. We've been through that. Um, obviously, the pre-show, we usually go through all the technical stuff with our guest. But in this case, we were discussing with Jeff the differences between shorts and jorts so jeff is woefully unprepared but talking of yeah they're jorts but <laughs> welcoming jeff mcconey to the podcast we are skipping across the pond as you would say chris and we are entering the world of oval racing and eye racing so jeff welcome to Gridfinder's sim sunday's podcast thank you for having me on i'm very excited to be here should be a lot of fun you it know, I'm, I'm so excited to kind of pick your brain a little bit because in past, I think in every episode, just about some reason, setups come to mind or come into the conversation. And I'm always like, you know, I am terrible at making setups for myself. I just can't do it. No matter what I do, I end up messing, messing up the car. And you run a fabulous website called McConey Setup Shop. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your what your business does well we provide setups on the iRacing platform specifically we haven't expanded to other uh racing simulators quite yet maybe someday in the future if the market is there but the biggest thing that we do is we provide great baseline setups for people to use sometimes it works perfectly right out of the box for them some people will need to make some adjustments for their driving style each individual person drives a car differently, but we can put out a great product that they are able to jump in and be competitive right away. And it costs really less than your monthly iRacing subscription for some of the packages to <laughs> yeah. go out and be competitive and run really, really at the front. I mean, I won on, I, I run always the exact setups that are on the website. And not many other places can say that. A lot of other places are pulling the wool over their the eyes of their customers and running something completely different. I fully disagree with that, but I always run what's on the website. And in the past two days, I won an Xfinity race. I won a cup race. Someone that I was racing with, I was spotting for him, won a truck race. And that's just the ones that I have been directly involved in. But if I, if I can pull 30 seconds on the field at Watkins Glen, imagine what a really good driver can do on a setup like that. Right. But, this is deep. Okay, this is deep sim racing now. Okay, so so there's a sliding scale of of sim racing. You have your esports pros who are who are looking at all the little tiny details that they can focus on in order to get that like hundredth of a second over their opponent, and then you have people who like jump on Gran Turismo once every couple of weeks with a a joypad and they race and they have fun and they are equally online racers. So we're kind of at one end of the sliding scale. Tell us about your journey along that scale. Well, I started off sim racing. There's a picture somewhere, my mom still has it, where I'm maybe two or three years old, 
and with the Nintendo 64, the wheel and pedals are as big as I am, and I fell asleep <laughs> holding the wheel. So it was Ooh. NASCAR 2000, maybe it was even 98, NASCAR 98 on the Nintendo 64 that I started on. And then over the years, I just played a lot of console games. Uh, the first ones that come to mind, uh, what I thought was the best one was NASCAR 09. I loved it. Then NASCAR The Game Inside Line and all the other years after. Um, then they those games started sort of going down in quality. I was getting older. And I went from doing the NASCAR console games to about four years ago or so, I was at work, and at the time I worked at a golf course. I don't play golf. I know nothing about golf. But for <laughs> some reason, I was hired to, like, run a golf pro shop and just, like, work the cash register and, you know, manage tee times and everything there. And a couple months beforehand, a much larger course had opened up about two miles away. So we didn't have very much traffic, so I would just sort of sit there all day, and then I started watching iRacing, the Coke series. Uh, at the time, it was the Peak Antifreeze series, which is the professional oval racers. I started watching those, and I'm like, man, this is really cool. I liked it a lot. Then I started watching just regular broadcasts of different events that were on the bottom of the iRacing website. And from there, I saved up, you know, 200 bucks, bought a wheel and pedals, and got on iRacing. I originally was getting uh, absolutely beaten badly uh, in, the, in the Modifieds, which were my favorite cars. At the time, I would go to Stafford Motor Speedway every Friday night. I'd watch the races there. I ended up working at that track for a little while as well. But I wanted to run those cars, the Modifieds, and run them well, and I was not doing well at all. So I learned how to sit down, build a setup, and just grew it, grew it from there. <laughs> so. You sat down and just built a setup. Are the majority of your setups kind of like you racing around making the perfect setup? Or do you have like a staff of people that submit these setups? How does, how does, uh, how do all of these come together? Because you have a lot of stuff on your website. I was looking at it because, like I said, I'm terrible at setups. So I'm like, well, maybe I just had, need to pay Jeff to give me some, <laughs> some wins over here. So how do you gather all of it? Because there's so many cars out there. It's, it, it would seem impossible for me to be able to get that amount of content. How do you do yeah. that? Well, it all started in March of 2020. There was, I don't know how many people know about it, but it was something called COVID-19. And uh, um, I've heard stuff about that, just yeah, little things, you know. Just, you know, occasionally mentioned once or twice. But right. with that, I went home. At the time I was in college, I was studying mechanical engineering technology at Purdue University. I went home um, to visit my parents for a week, and then we basically all got emails saying, hey, we're doing school online the rest of the semester. Stay at home, have fun. And I was like, well, I don't really have anything else to do. So I got on iRacing. And when it first started, it was just me building setups. And I did setups for the Legends cars, those little Ford 34 coupes, uh, the very small ones that are darty and very hard to drive. Um, did those. I did the late models, the super late models, and the SK modifieds and tour modifieds. And I did that for about three or four months, all of them every week, five setups per week by myself. And I would sell them through, I didn't even have a website at the time. It was through Facebook. So people would message me and I would, you know, say, hey, send me five bucks on PayPal and sell them yeah. a setup. And from there, I met a guy named Bill Gross, who I raced with a lot in the late models and he would always beat me. And he said, <laughs> you know, hey, give me a, a portion of the setup sales and I'll build the setups. And I was like, 
not a bad idea. Someone else does the work and I get money for it? Sure. Plus, so you, can, you can, since he's beating you, you can take his setup and be like, well, now I'm even. Exactly. That was the theory. And then I started running much better in the late models. I didn't, at the time, I didn't know what I didn't know. And those setups now I would look at and be like, this is terrible. How are we selling this? But at the time, it was <laughs> what I knew. And they were better than anything else that was publicly available. But at that time in iRacing, nobody was selling setups. You would build your own, and anything publicly available was either two or three seasons old or wasn't very good. So it was better than what was available. And then we just had to constantly keep upping the ante. So when we had to keep making better setups and find more speed and do things better than anyone else, because at this point, other people started their own shops and tried to, you know, a lot of copycats would well yeah right they'd create their own and so we had to stay ahead of the curve so the big thing that i was focusing on in 2020 was staying ahead of the curve so i brought in some some you know some people that i had raced with and that i knew were really good builders and had the knowledge and pretty much just said hey you know all you got to do is make one or two setups each week send them to me and we'll upload them and you get paid and at the time it was unheard of to get paid for iRacing. If you weren't a professional, you weren't making any money. Streamers weren't really doing it full-time. They would have other games as well. If you weren't racing in the the top series and signed by a team, you weren't making money on iRacing. And so to go to people and say, hey, build a setup to sell and get money, people were all over it. So now <laughs> I don't build any anymore because everyone on board with Makoni Setup Shop, the whole staff of probably 10, 12 builders currently are uh. much better than I am. So we have people that build one car. We have two people that build a car together. Just depends. Some people will build, you know, two or three cars. I actually, our road, all of our road setups are built by one person, Daniel Sivisvabo. He is amazing at what he does. I mean, I don't know. He is, he's a university student and is just incredible at what he does. So he does every single week, F3, F4, F3, F1, two LMP2 series, two GT3 series, and a GT4 series. And those GT3 series, he does three cars each in each series. He does the Porsche, he does Ferrari and Mercedes in both of those series. And the GT4, he does Aston Martin, Mercedes, and Porsche every Holy single week. Cow. Yeah, and so he's building like crazy. So his workload is high, but he gets paid a lot. And you have other people that will do one or two cars, or they'll split a car together. And either way, you're doing a couple hours of work, and you get a good paycheck out of it. So they're very happy. And I'm happy because I get to run the website and manage it and race and do all these fun things. And currently, I have a day job where it just keeps me busy and working, but with how fast things have been picking up it's going to shift back here to being a full-time endeavor for me so i'll be working pretty much right where i'm sitting and running the company full-time um just with how much it's grown and expanded with all the different builders we have coming on and everything going on well congratulations because it's not easy right it's not easy to go from uh, side hustle passion project to full time and you know, speaking from experience over a grid finder right. it yeah. feels and good full time yeah. now you said um, 
you said that you know your builders they have to just put in a couple of hours work and they get paid but it's not just a couple of hours work because it's that you know you've heard the old uh, the old fable about the engineer who goes down into the bow of the ship to fix the engine the captain really needs to get the ship going so he goes down to the engine he like smacks this thing with a hammer the engine starts up and he gives a bill to the captain for like ten thousand dollars and the captain's like i'm not paying for that you just came down you hit it with a hammer and then he says okay i'll amend the bill so then he amends the bill this is a really long story i forgot how long this story no, you're fine he amends the bill and he comes back to the captain and he says <clears throat> hitting the engine with the hammer fifty dollars 25 years of experience so that I knew where to hit the engine with the hammer, $950. This is kind of the same thing, right? So the the guys building the setups, yeah, it takes them a couple of hours, but that's because they've accrued probably thousands of hours of driving and testing. So I'd like to know a little bit about the process of where the hell do you start with a setup? Because every little setting affects everything else. So what's the what's step one to building your own setup? Well, that... If you are at ground zero, absolutely nothing whatsoever, the best thing you can do, iRacing has different setups for cars and tracks available. There's, there's baselines there. They're not great because they're not designed to be. They're designed to <clears throat> get you around the track and do so somewhat efficiently and safely. So if you are starting from there, start on the iRacing baseline. After a couple months, you should get to the point where you've run all the different tracks for, you know, a car or something similar to it. So when I was doing the modifieds, there's really only 10, 15 tracks that they can go to. And when you have a really good setup at one, you can carry that into other tracks. So my setup for Stafford Motor Speedway, which is, I think it is the best setup I've ever driven. It's, we have put so many hours into that setup, making it perfect for everything that we need to get out of it it is perfect should have we asked took... for that chris <laughs> we definitely we definitely should have asked for a copy of that setup <laughs> yeah i i mean um because that's what we'll be running later and it's um you take that setup and i take that setup to martinsville and i take that setup to new hampshire and i take it to gateway and i take it to milwaukee and all these other similar tracks where you figure out what each car needs based on the track type. So for the modifieds, I know that the most important thing is the banking in the corners. That The banking in the corners determines everything and how that car performs. So you can take a setup built for a half-mile track like Stafford, Martinsville, and you can take it to a one-mile track, to a one-and-a-quarter-mile track. And all you do is adjust the gear ratio. The spring package stays the same. Now, you cannot take that setup to Bristol because the spring package is too different. The banking is too steep. So you figure out next what is most important in how the car drives. For some cars, it's the length of the track. For some cars, it's how steeply banked it is. You have to figure out what is most important. Then from there, you start figuring out what you specifically like. So I know with the modifieds, my strength is, is driving it very aggressively off the corners. I know that I'm going to use the right front up, so I need to balance that with a lot of right rear tire wear. And you do that, so I like a very short gear ratio. And I am at the chip as soon as I hit the end of the straightaway. A lot of other people don't want to be anywhere near it in the modifieds. They think they're losing power when they do it. It comes down to personal preference. 
So I know that I like a very short gear ratio. And if I have a very short gear ratio, then I need to make sure that it's not loose on exit. Otherwise, I will burn the right rear off too much. So you lower the track bar, the right rear track bar at that point. Okay, you're lowering the right rear track bar. That's going to tighten the car center of the corner a little bit. Now you need to adjust the caster. And you sort of figure out the process along the way, what needs to be adjusted in what order for you and how you specifically like it. So it's it's a very long-winded way of saying you really just need to practice and hit the track and run a bunch of different tracks and figure out what you like and how to make what you like happen. Well, there's an interesting tidbit here. So obviously there are the extreme sim racers that race every single night. They have a little bit more time than the average person and they can go into the nitty gritty of, you know, every single little teeny adjustment, track all of these different things that they're doing wrong or right or whatever. Right. And then there's people like, let's say me, for example, normally when I hop into a sim, I just kind of want to get in there and and race. I don't really want to fidget with a ton of things, but I do want to be competitive. So a service like yours can help those people. Now, I know we get into a little bit of the realm of maybe even like a pay to win scheme here, but it's, I don't really think it is because it's getting you competitive, but you still have to drive the car. So I've always been one of those people that don't mind microtransactions because if it saves me time and ultimately makes me have more fun playing video games, whatever, so be it, right? It doesn't really affect anyone else. Have you ever experienced like backlash or or any kind of social attack, if you will, on selling setups in like this kind of pay to win almost culture kind of a thing? Do you mean today or in general? <laughs> uh, in I guess in general <laughs> would be the question. Yeah. Yeah. It. So we were one of the first to offer setups individually. Now services like VRS already existed. And they would do a monthly subscription. Now, with VRS, you were also getting telemetry and, and other things involved with it as well. And it was at a low price. Granted, the setups were not nearly at the level at what we were putting out and continue to put out. But you also got other aspects to it as well. So it wasn't... It was more learning how to drive and you got setups too. Versus okay. us, it's purely you get setups. You are buying setups from us. Now, we've grown and changed and added a lot of different... Uh, features and products so when we started that though and when i started the company there absolutely was backlash and people (laughs) and and i i fully understand it and i respect the opinion and i and i i get it of you know jeff you've brought this onto the iRacing community this plague of setup shops (laughs) of people um trying to make (laughs) money off of it and yikes in wait wait the racers in i racing microtransaction hell (laughs) are mad at you for also giving setups and giving another option to make you more competitive in i racing that seems weird to me yeah you have that and on the other hand though there's been so people got very greedy very fast uh with setup shops and it very quickly devolved to in a lot of uh, wrecking other people from other shops and a lot of um, spamming the chat and saying, oh, my setup's better and, you know, you need to buy from me and not this person and, and this person's sure. stealing setups from them and, 
everything else. And, and the one thing I always said from the start is we need to stay out of that. I, I just told everyone, guys, if they wreck you, protest it. You know, don't get drawn in. Don't get sucked into this crazy mindset that they have of just absolute. I mean, it's, it's very toxic, but it's an obsession with it, it seems. And so for the average person that sees this and isn't involved with the shop, they see how toxic it is and how crazed some of these people are chasing mm -hmm. money. And so it definitely, and I will, I will admit it was an issue of it got out of control way too fast where anyone could start a shop and sell setups. It got, it got out of hand far too quickly. And there were some shops that started up that, I mean, just one day they just took a bunch of people's money and stopped providing setups. I mean, I know of at least, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know of one oh, case man. where that happened. And we, you know, knowing this, put out a statement saying, if you bought from them, we will honor that purchase. So if you bought, oh, okay. you know, three weeks of truck setups from them, you, we will give them to you. Just send us the receipt showing you paid for it because that's just the right thing to do. And when we're the first ones, you know, it, it, it opened Pandora's box. If it wasn't me that did it, somebody else would have. So yeah. I, you could say I feel an obligation and a responsibility to make sure that we are doing things right, running a good business, not scamming people, because we were the ones that opened Pandora's box. We unleashed this onto the community, <laughs> and we need to be there to – we can't – fix and control what other people do, but we can't control what we do and make sure that we treat customers right. So there's been a lot of backlash. People, I mean, people hate me and send me messages and, and everything else saying, oh, I can't believe you started all this. And yeah, I get it. I understand now you're adding more money into the service. Um, some people think that setup should be free because other people offer them for free, to which I say, great. Um, Cool. If they want to do that with their time for free, good for them. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, for me, this is a company. It's what I do. It's something I love. It's something I'm very passionate about. But for the amount of hours and work that I have put in, there was a stretch where from February to really early August, where I had three weekends at home. I was traveling a lot to Nashville. I live close to Nashville and doing a lot of things down there. I traveled to, I think I went to over almost 20 different races for NASCAR over the course of those six months. I had three weekends at home. Now, I'm not complaining, but you can't do that for free, right? I have to pay to fly or drive to these right. places. I have to get a hotel room. I have to, a lot of the times the tickets were free because we do a lot of work with NASCAR and different teams and everything else. but. You, you have to pay for all of that. And plus, mentally, it's exhausting. I work 40 hours a week as an engineer at a tire factory, and then I come home and I work on documents. I work on managing things. I work on what are we going to do next? How are we doing compared to other places? Where are we at in the market? What's changed in the market? So many different things. I mean, I've written... Now, we're working on something major behind the scenes that I can't, unfortunately, discuss, but it's, it's a big part in why I'm going to be able to take this full time soon. And with that, I've written at least 40, 50 pages and uh, of market analyses and um, 
basically how the company runs and what all we're working on. Putting together all those documents and spreadsheet after spreadsheet of calculations <clears throat> and profit loss statements and I have a feeling Tom yeah. is uh, having PTSD at this yeah. moment with uh, with all of this stuff oh, that you're talking about that, and and that and that's the wall. yeah and it's <laughs> that's part of any small business and I'm I'm certainly not complaining I chose this I love to do it and it's it's it, I it, it I am more proud of this company and all the work that I get to do than anything else uh, in my life. But when people say, oh, it should be for free, well, no, I'm, I, I work a lot to make this happen. If other people provide it for free, sure, that's great for them, but it's not going to be at the same quality or at the same scale. They might do one, two, five cars for free. They're not going to match the 20 plus cars we do every week. It's, it, it, it's one of those things where if you want you get what you pay for. I guess that's the simplest way to put it. You get what you pay for. So if you want people to put in the time and run a business well behind the scenes for iRacing, they have to charge money. Also, you look at any race team at any scale around the world, it's not the drivers that are working on the cars and figuring out what adjustments to make and making pit calls and strategies and stuff. You have engineers whose entire job is to set up the car and study it, and you have the crew chief on the box, and you have all these people on board. So when people say, oh, well, you know, why should I have to pay for this? You don't, one, you don't have to. You don't it's, have to. It's yeah. an optional choice. And two, it's offering essentially four higher engineers of any race team. It, it, it's like being an independent contractor as a race engineer. So do I understand why people say it should be free, why people push back on it? Yeah. Does it excuse or justify sending death threats to me and my family? Nah, that's wow. a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, that's no. happened a couple of times. That's been we've, fun. Um, we've had a few guests on now from various different areas of the sim racing world who have said that. And I think that's kind of just a symptom of just putting yourself online in any capacity whatsoever. But let's, let's focus on the positives here, right? Right. You have a serious <laughs> passion for iRacing, clearly, because you've devoted well, soon you're, you're working life to it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think Chris and I would probably admit that we are road guys. So there's, we have a lot to learn about oval racing. And I recently found out, basically because I was researching you and what you do for this episode, that there's a lot more to oval racing than turning left. And I know you probably hate that phrase, right? Um, but explain to the road guys what it is. Because I was reading about all sorts of settings that you change in the car, like that, that that change dampers and things whilst you're whilst you're driving around, and there's there's a lot more that you can that you can adjust like mechanically with the car as you're racing, and then you've got like the high line, the low line. There's a lot to it. So like, explain it to us. How does it work? Yeah, I've always found road racing to be racing against yourself. You are out there trying to get the best lap time, run the best line, hit all your apexes, you know, hit your marks every single lap. And it is absolutely a skill, and it's absolutely very difficult. There are a lot of people a lot better than I am at road racing because it's, it is it is a whole different craft, and I, I absolutely respect it. It's amazing. But on the oval side as well, I think a lot of it does get lost in just lack of experience a lot of the time. A lot of road racers don't make that journey over to oval and try it out and see what it's like. And I, you know, I hope they do, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But 
it's a lot more aggressive, I think, for sure. There's a lot more beating and banging on the oval side. You are racing just as much against other people as you are yourself. I feel like in road racing, like I said, you are, hit, you are hitting your best laps that you can hit with your car, your setup, your skill level. But for oval racing, you can get stuck in a really bad position a lot easier than on the roadside as well. So if you are on the road, on a, on a road race, you've got all these different opportunities to hit different apexes and hit your marks at different areas. So let's say Watkins Glen, because that's somewhere that races both road races like LMP2s, you know, formula cars, everything else, as well as NASCAR series. When you are there in a NASCAR car, the passing difference, the passing zones are completely different than the road cars, just like how passing zones for oval and road are different. It's very, it, it's frowned upon to in road sort of dive it into a corner and stick your nose in there and push someone out of the way. In oval, on the short tracks, that's just, I mean, it, it's necessary. <laughs> in the modifieds, you will stick the nose in and literally push the guy up the track. So you're leaning wow. on each other a lot more. Oh, yeah, you will. I mean, there's a lot more contact. Sounds expensive. <laughs> well, um, Jeez. On, on the modifieds themselves, what's really interesting is those bars on the side, those are called Nerf bars. And they are literally designed with the sole purpose of banging on someone else's Nerf bar and pushing them out of the way. What? It sticks out. Yeah, it sticks out a little <laughs> bit further than the wheel. It's very hard to compress them inwards by side contact. So you just push them up out of the way. Um, in real life, at Stafford Motor Speedway, there's, in turn three, um, Woody Pitcat and Keith Rocco really perfected three. it called the um, bottom shot move into turn three, where you just send it in, you really overdrive the entry where it's flat, and you use the other car, and you just push them up, and you take That's... the position that way. So, I'm a little bit confused about what turn three is, because there's only two corners. So, in oval, th this is a whole discussion when you get to tracks like Indianapolis, Pocono, um, but each corner... Each half of the track, those are two corners. So you have turn one, where you enter in, oh. and then you get halfway through, and you get to turn two. And then you come right. off of turn two. I did not you, know that. Yeah. That's and then you, you enter turn three. So any oval track has at least four corners. Imagine, imagine. I don't know if you follow Formula One, but do you remember the Jeddah track that came out and they were just inventing corners which are little kinks in the track? <laughs> if, they, if they used the same methodology here, there'd be about 100 corners on that track if every entrance and exit to a corner counted as a single corner. Yeah, and so that's how they, they count it there. Interesting. But I would say the biggest difference between the two is road racing, you're racing more against yourself. On the oval side, you are racing against the other people. You are basing your strategy off of others. You're beating and banging and leaning on other people a lot more. There's, I, I would say another really big thing is there's different lines at each track that are all equally fast, depending on how you run them. So let's take Chicagoland Speedway, for example. Unfortunately, it's not raced in real life anymore. And fingers crossed that they go back to it because it's an amazing facility. But... Most tracks you want to ride down on the bottom, the shortest way around the track is the quickest. 
But if you have banking that some tracks will change, it's progressive banking up the track. So the bottom right. might be 25 degrees. The top could be 32, for example. You can carry more speed along the top and carry a lot of momentum. So they will get around the corner quicker than you. But when you're up top, you're carrying more speed and you can get a really big run down the straightaway and then pass them. So right. a lot of different <clears throat> strategies and different lines that you can run and be just as quick as somebody else. It sounds like in oval racing, there's a lot of those, the things that we're not allowed to do in road racing are like encouraged. And they're like, yeah, we know you can't do it in road racing. So we made this new type of racing where you can. It's almost Pretty like much. if you were to go to an amusement park and there was the one bumper cars that they're like, okay, don't hit each other or go-karts. Okay, don't hit each other. And then there's the other ones where they're like, yeah, go to town, do whatever. You're yeah. like, I want to I wanna go on the ones where I can hit anybody I feel like hitting. You can see the appeal, right? <laughs> oh, now, yeah. Now, the big difference is leaning on somebody and wrecking somebody. And well, that is a very oh, fine okay. line. And yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. feelings get hurt. Because if you... <laughs> you it, it, I can't it even is imagine that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a matter of inches. If, right. if that, between hitting someone where they're pushed out of the way and hitting someone where you spin them around. It's a very fine line. I can only imagine the nightmare that is stewarding these races. Like, in road races, if someone makes a move to block you twice, people are like, oh, that's a double move. That's not allowed. And everyone freaks out about the stewarding there. But here it's like, well, they rammed each other, but did they ram each other the right way? Like, that if seems like that would be impossible to steward. If both cars keep going, typically it's okay. There's also no real rules against blocking. There's no rules written against it, but you will face wow. repercussions. So okay. if you, I mean, a, a common expression is you block, you pay, you know, or you pinch, you pay. Um, if you want to swerve down the track in front of somebody, sure, don't be surprised what... What I always do, and what's actually a very popular rule in the Modifieds, is three-tap rule. If I get to you, the first tap on your back bumper, if I'm behind you, is I am here. The second tap is it's time to move. The third tap is I'm moving you. If you get wrecked, tough, you had, to, you had your warnings. And that was popularized in real life by a guy named Ted Christopher. And he was, I mean, he was amazing. He passed away a couple years ago, sadly, but it just... The skill that he had behind the wheel of a modified, and he popularized the three-tap rule. First one is, I'm here, you know, I'm going to race you, I'm here, I'm faster than you because I caught you. The second tap is, it's time for you to move, I'm quicker and I'm getting tired of sitting behind you. The third tap is, best of luck. If, if you spin wow. out, <laughs> tough. I'm not, you know, he's not trying, you're not trying to wreck the person. But if it happens, you had your warning. So wow. it's like a totally different sport. It feels like it, it has is. a very different, there's a very different attitude to racing, you know, where people say, oh, I'm racing somebody, not just generally, but you know, you're on the track right next to somebody and you're racing in GT3, GT4 racing. That feels very different to what this is. But then there's also like a whole other layer, right? You have like the joker laps and caution laps. How does all that work? So joker laps are for dirt road. That's like the off-road trucks and stuff. Um, but for cautions and stuff, they are full course cautions. So uh, equivalent to a safety car, which we don't really have in racing on the roadside. 
Um, but as soon as you see a caution come out, everyone slows down. The field is frozen in the order that they are. So uh, if the caution comes out and you just had the nose of your car in front of somebody for third place, you get that position because you were ahead of okay. them. Um, and then they basically clean up the wreck. You get a chance to pit, get new tires, fill it up with fuel, repair damage, whatever you want to do. Then they line you back up, double file, and wave the green flag and start the race again. So if you get caught in a wreck, it's not unheard of to be able to repair your car, depending on the amount of damage, and get back out there and be competitive. I mean, we had, um, well, he didn't end up winning, but someone I was racing with this morning in the race that I won, um, he got wrecked, and he was back in like 25th of 27 cars. He got eight and a half minutes of damage repaired because it knocked the front end out of the car. Got it all repaired. They fixed it, and he went back out, and he drove up and passed other cars that had wrecked and finished 19th. So oh, okay. ended up saving, you know, a good <clears throat> passing another six cars and helped him a ton. Wow. Yeah, we have, it, I say we, by Formula One standards, our pit stops are three seconds. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, that was a slow pit stop. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's going to happen now? <laughs> You're with eight minutes and repairing the whole car and just like, yeah, go on, go on, get back out there. Yeah. Go and, on, and go on for a ride. Most pit stops are between for NASCAR, um, about 12 to 14 seconds for four tires and fuel. Okay. So they also use two fuel cans. Someone literally hoists a can on their shoulder, sticks it in. And then that has about nine gallons or so in it. They pull that can out, run back, grab another can and put that one in. Um, okay. And at the same time, you have uh, two people changing the tires. They have the lug guns. Um, depending on what kind of car it is, they'll have either five lug nuts or just one big center lock in the Cup Series. Mm. Pull the tire off. S- someone else places the tire on. They tighten up the tire. And then they sort of roll the tire over back to the pit road. And they run around. They do the same thing again. I'm... They jack the car up <laughs> on each side. It's very cool. It's The pit stops are an art for nascar but not nearly as optimized as you know formula one where they're doing pit stops in two seconds that's incredible done yeah Yeah. i'm in my mind i'm picturing the beginning of talladega nights with you know will ferrell and and i'm just like in the in my mind that's all that's the only pit crew that i can ever picture working Mm -hmm. the pits at a nascar (laughs) race and you know with uh what's the big the big guy with the super super deep voice uh anyway that's not important oh um Oh, now that's going to bother me until I remember it. We'll, oh, we'll have to message name? it out on social later when we finally go, oh, we remember now. I can, I can find it. I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you're very much an iRacing guy, right? And you, you said that you had a journey up to iRacing and they were all NASCAR titles. And then you hit iRacing and now you've stuck with iRacing. Can you see mm-hmm. yourself going anywhere else for oval racing because you know motorsport games have come out with a title and it wasn't too well received but you know i can't imagine i racing are going to be the only people to ever do any kind of oval racing uh yeah so first off it's lucius his name was lucius now i remember <laughs> um i found that on google but <laughs> to to answer your question on it with how accurate iRacing is with the laser scan cars and all the physics that they put in and all the work they do behind the scenes to make 
NASCAR especially as realistic as possible because that's the main I would say the main demographic on iRacing is oval racers from our market analyses what we found is that uh, asphalt oval is the most popular form of racing road is very close it's up there but oval especially NASCAR is unbelievably popular about 70% of people running ovals will run exclusively NASCAR so it's it's very impressive the the dedication to it and iRacing recently became a partner of NASCAR so they're getting so much data and information on these oh, cars wow. and it's 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 incredible what they're able to do what we have found especially with the next gen cars cuz those just released what we found in those cars is that very stiff right side springs for a time were they it was as good as you could get you just maxed out the right side springs and I was actually at Talladega having a meeting with Kurt Busch uh, about some future stuff that we have planned, which is going to be very cool. And I Ow. mentioned that, and I said, <laughs> um, I, and I was talking to him, and I said, Kurt, on iRacing, it's just not realistic with the next-gen cars. I said, all we're doing is maxing out the right-side springs. And he looks at me, he goes, that's what we're doing here. He goes, upstairs, the car, you know, the car's kept on the road. He goes, we got 4,000 pound right side springs and, you know, 500 pound left pound springs. And I was like, I, it's, it's oh. amazing. Even when we think iRacing is wrong and that there's something wrong with the physics and all we do is max out the springs and that's it. In NASCAR, that's exactly what they're doing. It's as realistic that's... as you can possibly get. It's incredible. So that's reassuring to a certain extent, right? You're yeah. like, oh, it's all wrong. He's like, no, it's actually that's spot on. That's exactly what it should be doing. Yeah. He goes, that's that amazing. is it's perfect. And so I love that crossover yeah. between the real and virtual world. And we've seen it reminded reminds me of a um a bit in there. So we we went to the Alpine Formula One factory for one of the podcasts, um, like wow. it was last month. And um Guillaume, who manages the esports team, was telling me that actually the simulations that they use are so realistic that before they go to a track, the sim racing team will give advice to the engineers for the real team if there's been changes to the track. So when there was like the Jeddah, the new track, they were racing it in the game because they've obviously never raced it before. And they were asking the esports drivers like, where's good to overtake? What's tire deg like? You know, all these questions that that's amazing. I, I, baffling but chris you knew that already right you'd listen you've listened to my episode uh, uh, Alpine. No. it's it's um, it's absolutely amazing that simulation racing because you know <clears throat> a lot of people when they think sim racing will think those those little piddly arcade things they see it like a dave and busters or like a bar arcade kind of a thing where you sit down throw your quarters in and it jumps over bridges that are exploding and godzilla comes in and tries to eat your car that's we what they think cars. sim racing is, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I've, I've got a great story for that, but yeah. <laughs> Go for it. I want to hear oh. it now. So um, there, there was someone I was dating. Her name was Madison. And the first date that we went on, she asked, you know, like, what do you do for work? What are your hobbies and all that? Of course. And, I mentioned, and I mentioned, you know, I, I run my own company. And she's like, what do you do? And I was like thinking to myself, well, I sit and play pretend race cars all day. And I, I didn't say that. I said, well, you know, it's a simulation of cars. And, you know, I, I explained the whole thing, what iRacing is and what it's about and what I do. And she goes, oh, so it's like a, a video game. And for simplicity's sake, I was like, yeah, it's like a video game, but just really realistic. And then she called her parents and was like talking to them. 
And they asked, what does he do? And she (laughs) explained it to them as, you know, those arcades in the mall with like the racing. (laughs) She goes, he does that. And then she told this to me. And I was like, that's not at all what I do. (laughs) And there's a single tear rolling down one cheek. (laughs) And so I then had to explain to her parents and she had to explain to her parents and show them like videos and stuff of what I was doing. And like, we showed them broadcasts of races I was in and everything else to show them like, no, I'm not going down to like Chuck E. Cheese and <laughs> the guy with the roll of quarters and just <laughs> right. schooling kids the whole Giving day. Giving some advice yeah. over the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's not what I do. That's not even close to what I do. I am making virtual setups that can then be carried over to real world if they so choose not amazing. playing dirt to daytona 2002 so <laughs> that's amazing you yeah. know tom you kind of pointed out something interesting that i i'd never really put any brain power into oval racing and i racing is just like a one-to-one match that's what you do if you're an oval fan but us road guys like you said admittedly both of us are road guys we have ACC, we have AC, we have Gran Turismo, we have all these other games that are equally as good as each other that are always competing for our attention. Whereas, I mean, I'm trying to think of what was there? NASCAR Heat was a thing for a while, and they haven't made a new game in a bit, right? Yeah, they're what, bankrupt what now. Is, <laughs> what is another oval game that you would say, okay, yeah, if you're not an iRacing person, what is the game that you would recommend? Like, Tom and I could recommend five games right off the rip. Just bam, 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 yeah, bam. We, we jump between games quite often, um, but it yeah. doesn't seem like that's an option in oval racing. You know, there's really not much. If you're looking specifically for oval content, iRacing uh-huh. is... It's hands down the best. It's the most realistic. It's the most expensive, but... It is well worth it. If you are that interested in oval racing and exclusively oval racing, then it is worth the time and money to get involved in it. There's just well, nothing that even compares. I think this this makes a lot more sense now why iRacing is so popular, or at least in my head, because for the longest time I've been struggling as to why do people pay for iRacing? But me as a road guy, I have all these other games, like Assetto Corsa, you can get the ultimate edition, which has modding until your eyes bleed. And it's like eight bucks yeah. and you're, you're all in. So when you go to iRacing as a road guy, you go, wait, how much is it per year? And I have to buy every car. What, what's going on here? But as an oval person, that's your only option, which is, it's both kind of disappointing, but also you get such good quality. You're saying it's basically like real world racing. It's almost a one-to-one match perfectly. So it it almost in my mind legitimizes the reason to pay for for i racing in all honesty so but absolutely if you had to pick another game and you let's say for some reason i racing banned your account i don't whatever right you you <laughs> rode in the grass too long and they banned your account forever <laughs> <laughs> and what would what would be your go to after i racing Probably Project Cars, if I had to guess something okay. along, you know, one of the Project Cars. It would be a, I guess it would be a tough go, because like yeah. you said, there's not really anything that's that's legitimate for ovals. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Um, maybe Gran Turismo. I've heard good things about it. I haven't played it, but you are never going to reach that same level of quality for Oval, especially for Road. Yeah, it's 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 pretty. I've I've heard great things about other games. It, they have their own different feels, and they feel, you know, some. It's like the car responds way too much. It doesn't respond enough. It depends on the game, but for for Oval, yeah, I would say iRacing is your best. If you're going to play a racing game for Ovals on PC, iRacing is your choice. And they're not paying me to say that. They're not, you know, I, I don't get anything from saying that. But I would say absolutely iRacing is your best choice for Oval content on PC. If you're looking to just pick up and play, you know, sure, grab NASCAR Heat on a console and plug in a controller and do that. But if you're looking right. for realistic, quality, high-level racing for ovals of all, you know, all the way from Legends up to Cup Cars, iRacing is your best and only choice, I would say. So, as a setup shop, how involved do you get to be with iRacing? Like, is, has there been any kind of reaching out one way or the other to be like, hey, just so you know, we're doing this, just make sure you're happy with it. Is there anything we can do to, to work together on it? Or is it very much two separate entities? They know you're there. They're happy that you're a big part of the community, but there's, there's no overlap. Do, do you have any kind of crossover? It depends on the shop. For us, we have a really great relationship with iRacing, and that's something I'm oh, that's thankful good. for. Yeah, I... <laughs> Um, I mean, I work with their director of marketing, Chris Leone. I mean, he and I talk at least two or three times every week on wow. different events. We, we work together a lot for, uh, we're putting on, we have put on an event called the Stock Car Summer Showdown, and that wraps up actually on Tuesday. So we're racing in ARCA cars at Stafford, which I'm very excited for. Um, I might be able to finally have a good, strong finish. I finished... <laughs> fourth i think in the last race something like that um so i'm hoping to have a good showing there but we work together on a lot of things so our relationship with iRacing is very good there's other shops that they they've blackballed they won't talk to them they don't want anything to do with wow. them they are not good for the community they just they can't shut them down but they <clears> sure <throat> as heck cannot give them any publicity or help them out at all so with iRacing, you know, they're, they're nice to us. They'll, um, they, they feature us in a lot of advertisements. Very nice. They did an interview with uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who we're at, we partner with his oh. team, Junior Motorsports. And so they did an interview with Dale Jr. And uh, they featured our logo on different cars that we sponsored on two or three different occasions during it. They've, you know, used our logo in advertisements. And there'll be times where they'll come to us and say, hey, what's what are people's thoughts on this? What's your thoughts on this? You know, what a that's awesome. What if what if we did this? And you know, I I go to them and bounce ideas off of them. Hey, is it okay if I do this? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, part of the big project that I've been working on the past couple months involved validating the number of current active users on iRace, and that number, that exact number, is something they keep private. So I used what publicly available information I had and went to them and said, hey, I know you don't publicly state this, but here's a, here are my numbers for what I think the active market is. Can you tell me if I'm close or right or wrong? And they, they, they even said, 
here's what the number is. This is what what we have. Oh, wow. Here's how close you are. Things like that. So thankfully for us, we have a great relationship with them. And that came from always doing things right and doing the right thing and, and talking to them um, and always laying it out there and saying, guys, we know we use your platform to make money. We want to be sure we're not stepping on your toes. We want to be sure we're not giving you a bad name. And we both benefit from yeah. working together rather than enemies. There was one time where I was in a race with a iRacing staff member and the setup that they had loaded was outdated and the car was dragging on the track. It was, it was terrible. It, it was undrivable. And they, I got a text after the race. I was in the race as well with a staff member. And I got an email afterwards saying, hey, you know, you know these cars. Can you put something together that we can look at and compare? And we did that. We've done um, when the iRacing Invitational occurred. Um, we sent over setups for them to look at and build off of for those series. We weren't publicly giving credit for it, but we were sending them setups and saying, hey, yeah. this is what would be good. And that was with eNASCAR and iRacing. So for us, we have a great relationship. And I love those people over there. They are amazing. I'm very thankful for them. And what's also nice with that is if we have a problem and we say, hey, this, we've got a problem with this group. They're doing X, Y, Z, and we don't think it's good for the community. They'll look into it and handle it. There was one point someone tried to include the word iRacing in a copyright so that no one wow. else would be able to use that term. Oh, wow. And so <laughs> that seems bold. That is a bold move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how dumb can wow. you be to try and step on their toes like that? And so I went over to iRacing and I basically said, hey, guys, like, I don't know if you've seen this yet. I spotted this. I don't know if you yet, but. I don't have a team of rabid lawyers, but you guys probably do for a company of your size. So Rabbit. go ahead and go ahead and send them out. And all of a sudden, I haven't heard anything about it in months. And they would. It just oh. disappeared. Just amazing how that happens. But well, I absolutely yeah. love those stories. And it's one of the things that I love the most about gaming communities is when you see like the big dog, like iRacing, kind of leaning down and helping up people in the community and helping them kind of share in in success right the whole a rising tide helps all boats some people don't agree with that kind of ethos but but i love these stories where you see titles like iRacing helping out independent small entities because i remember when we spoke back in september 2020 you were still mm -hmm. just starting out you were still at, at college full-time yeah. uh, you were just doing it in the evenings and weekends and now it's grown to, to to what it is now um have you had anything similar with like teams and drivers? Do you, do you get much, uh, like, do you get questions from engineers in the real world being like, we're stuck on this? Any ideas? There was one setup that we helped a Xfinity team build, a NASCAR Xfinity Series team, and they went out, and I think it was at Texas, and they took our setup and they tried it. And I mean, the guy top 20 when usually it's like top 25 or so so he was having a good run i think and they might have had a mechanical issue or a wreck or something but we've worked with teams up at that level we get a lot of local teams uh stafford nashville fairground speedway um a lot of retired um racers who you know they're in their 50s 60s 70s they can't go to the track but they'll come to us and say hey 
you know, we used to do this in our cars. Can you recreate that in iRacing? And we'll we'll get as close as we can for them. So, yeah, a lot of real-world teams from all levels, all the way up to NASCAR, have and still sometimes do come to us and say, what are your thoughts on this? This is what we're seeing. What, what would you do? What do you think would work? So, yeah, we, we do have that. It's very, it's very cool when that happens, too. Yeah, that, I can only imagine... What would the equivalent for Grid Finder be? I guess we wouldn't really have, have uh, it. Would be, um, <clears throat> what would be Stefano Dominicali being like, um, hey, Tom, so we're thinking of doing this thing called Formula Zero, and we just want somebody to help organize it and, and show F people Zero? where it is. Did you really just go <laughs> F-Zero? Well, it's because in my head, I was like, game? I, well, is that a thing? I didn't know that was a thing, but yeah, in my head, F-Zero I was like... like- Formula One is a thing. I can't say Formula Two because that's already a thing. So I'm going to go the other way. And I just said Formula Zero. I didn't realize that was already yeah. okay. F-Zero is one of the greatest like old school like hovercraft racing games. No way. That everyone I'll wants to come racing. back again. Yeah, right, maybe we Nintendo. On Grid <laughs> but uh, I hate to interrupt the conversation, but we probably should hop on the track for a little bit and uh, throw some laps together. Hey, this is Chris from Gridfinder. Thanks for listening to the Sim Sundays podcast. Head on over to gridfinder.com to find your spot on the grid and join sim racing leagues for all your favorite games. Just enter your preferred game, car of choice, then let us know if you'd like to race PC, Xbox, or PlayStation, and we'll give you a list of actively recruiting leagues for you to join. And if you're a league owner, post your league on Gridfinder so that you run with a full grid for every race. If you'd like to participate in the races featured in each episode of the Sim Sundays podcast, join our Discord server by going to gridfinder.com discord. We host a new car and track combo every Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time and stream it live to our YouTube channel. If you're looking to upgrade your sim rig, visit the episode sponsor TrackRacer at TrackRacer.com. Thanks for being here. I don't know Do you know what I this am. is, right? Do you know what's happened here, right? Is, is there's a part of me that thinks that maybe there's a few people who have listened to the podcast before and thought, oh, they're doing iRacing. I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to see what that's all about. And then we have provided them a completely pitch black track. The <laughs> worst <laughs> experience ever, right? <laughs> Welcome to iRacing. To begin their so oval I, racing careers. <laughs> what I'm picturing Jeff doing right now is, you know, when like in Drive to Survive, when they show the, the racer like envisioning the track, their eyes are closed and they're just like going through the motions of the track because they remember where the break points are, where the turns are. That's what I'm imagining Jeff is doing doing right now. Since he's been on the track, he's like, okay, plant it for now, small break, turn, <laughs> like just. I I am memory. right now gaining on the car ahead, and because the car ahead is an AI, and I am also I have not gotten any off track. So oh, there it is. I spoke there, too soon. Oh, there, uh... But I ran like four laps without I was, touching I was the grass or anything. On the feed. Uh, that was that was going well for literally having no track texture in front of you at all. All yeah. you had was lights and shadows of fences on on your right hand side. That was well done. Oh, oh no! I well, lost. It. <laughs> do we want to since uh, since the track is all black at this point and we can't really race? Do we want to transition into the viewer questions if we can find some of those? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen any questions, but that's probably because Jeff has been incredibly thorough uh, with, <laughs> yes, with explaining exactly what oval racing is and uh, and how to build a how to build a setup. But um, yeah. what I'm interested in is how on earth Jeff McConey, who is basically a pro driver at this point, uh, is half a second the... faster. Right, half a second faster. If that was GT3 and I was racing, I don't know, even like. 
you know, uh, I don't know, Danny Juicer, I was racing, or we had McLaren Shadow on, and we were doing some laps, and I was half a second slower. I'd be like, wow, oh my god, this must be natural talent. But I feel like in oval racing, actually, that half a second is a lot because the whole lap is like eighteen seconds. Yeah, um, y- your whole lap is eighteen. Uh, in my case, eighteen point three seconds. I'm gonna get. Well done, sir. Well done, sir. Thank you. I'm gonna get all of this back set up again. Okay. Okay. We were, you know, we were making fun of Tom's jorts, and here I am wearing basketball shorts. Oh, boards. Hey, you mean boards? Boards. Oh, now we're just we're just gonna prefix <laughs> we're just everything. Making up words. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Okay. Um. So, Tom, I think we need to practice that a little more. We do have the iRacing memberships now, and 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 also, I it's it's a lot of fun. So the thing is, is you don't really have to focus as much. So when we're racing, let's say a Formula car, right, and you're on a road track. You've got to memorize 12 turns worth of breakpoints, apexes, all these things. So it feels like, I don't know, in the oval world, it almost feels like not necessarily easier by any means, but it feels like you would be able to kind of settle into a groove a little bit easier than you would in, a, in, a, in an F1 car or a GT3 or GT, you know. I don't know. Right. It's, uh... I think you have more capacity to focus on the racing rather than the driving. Now that might be yeah. a really like ignorant thing to say, having done literally twenty laps. But yeah. I feel like in... In, 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 in the pitch in the pitch black. Yeah. 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 In the pitch black. <laughs> <laughs> um uh... but but you know, when you race a road course a road course, I'm calling it a road course now, that's because I've been on iRacing for like twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um when you race like a road track, the corners have a character and then the sequence of corners will also have a feel to it and a flow and a character and you know you need to take one corner maybe not optimally because you're setting up for the next corner so there's 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 a lot more in terms of the positioning of the the car yet with oval racing i feel like the racing element of it and the tactics of getting above or below or you know the nudges i feel like there's a lot more to it and actually there seems to be a lot more like mechanical adjustments to the car whilst you're racing so it's sure it's like i said earlier it's almost like a different sport yeah it's a lot of differences between the two and how you approach it and how really how your mindset is with road racing a lot of it is racing yourself oval you're racing against uh all the other people there and the track but you can slip into a rhythm and just click off laps. I find myself more in a rhythm on road courses in stock cars really? than. Oh, okay. Road. But that's that's just me. I mean, I'll this week they're at Watkins Glen in the Xfinity and Cup Series, and I've won races in both those series. And a lot of it is just getting into a do it over and over, and you're just turning laps. But with oval ovals, I find myself really focusing on every corner, feeling how the car is, feeling how much it's changed from the last lap, who's around me, how much do I need to push, is the guy behind me gaining, am I pulling away, am I burning my right front tire off, what am I doing wrong yeah. and right? So it, you know, it, it all depends on how, how experienced you are and, and how, uh, how, it's, how it's laying itself out. Well, like... In road racing, let's say you're in seventh place in an F3 race, right? You could be all by yourself from laps two to the end. 
You could just, mm-hmm. there's a, you're just in that big gap zone where no one's attacking, no one's, you're not attacking anyone, you're just by yourself on the track, essentially. And it feels like in an oval race, uh, how many, for example, at Stafford, geez, how many cars typically race at one time on that oval, that small little 18-second oval? Up to 20. So up to 20 cars. So there's never a moment where you're not white-knuckled, just <laughs> focused all the time. Because there are times in a road race where if you're by yourself, you're just kind of in a groove. You're just kind of like, I don't know, driving at your best pace. And you're just settled down. You're not really white-knuckled, as I said. And you're just relaxing and, and just having a drive. Whereas, right. yeah, just in ovals, if you're 10 seconds behind, you're in the pack of other people that are better than you. And you're just constantly, constantly, constantly jockeying back and forth between cars. That would be a, a lot. So <laughs> how many laps? is a typical oval race. It depends on the series for a tour mod race at Stafford, about 80 to 120, somewhere in there. Okay. That's a long time to be on like max concentration, perfect turns, perfect, perfect feet, everything just mixing all together. That's a long time to have to focus on that. And then also look in your mirrors, make sure you're, you know, you're not going to get rear end. Just all those things is crazy. Way up. For us, yeah. Making sure (laughs) you're you're driving your own car and pushing it as hard as you can. Also, making sure you're not holding someone up behind. You know, doing something that they're not going to appreciate. Making sure you're not running over the guy ahead of you. You've got strategy playing out for when you're when you're going to pit. If you do it all, you know how much fuel do you take? Do you need tires? How are your tires wearing? There's so much going on at any given time. Oval racing. It is as much an art as road racing is, I would say, in how you approach it. And it's two completely different mindsets, both of which are very uh, intricate for what they're looking at, I would say. That's that's very interesting and, you know, kind of eye opening. While I I knew, obviously, I'm an American, so I know of NASCAR and and all of the, the oval track racing that we have, but. It's never been one of those things where I hop into a sim and like care about trying. So you pushing us over to this side actually gets me to go, you know what? That was that was pretty interesting. It's I could fun. see myself really getting into that. Now, I do want to do a little bit of that sideways drifting stuff because, I don't know, I've always wanted to master drifting in a sim. And I've just, every fine. single time I do it, it's just 360s or 720s, you know, yeah. however many times <laughs> I happen to spin in a circle. But yeah, that's a that's a really cool cool world to be opened up into and thank you for forcing us to go into the <laughs> oval racing i think so, uh you I'm and i chris, you guys had fun and yeah. that was a lot of fun i think i think you and i chris are gonna have to start opting out of sleeping because we had the episode with gp laps where he opened our eyes to classic car race well well i yeah I, I was yeah, i was <laughs> i became a big fan of classic car racing you not so much but I think every time we have a guest on the show who shows us a different discipline of sim racing, we're just going to grow this to-do list, which is going to be massive. But then that's kind of the beauty of sim racing, right? People call it a niche, but actually within that niche, there is quite a lot you can do. I know, Chris, you're, you're a big advocate of the, like the free roam, like just going on something like yeah. uh, Forza and just driving around, just messing about, having some fun. Whereas for other people, they would hate that. They want to be like perfecting their time, shaving off hundreds around 
whatever track in an F3 car, an F1 car. And, you know, then you've got GP Lap, Jake, who likes to go around and try out all the old cars, but on the old modded tracks. And now we've yep. got oval racing. We're going to have to try dirt racing at some point on the podcast as well. Yes, we are. Gosh. Yes, we are. <laughs> so next week we have Dave Cam. So we're double eye racing. I love Dave Cam. We are. Yeah. We so are. We're, we are double eye racing. And, and Chris, um, you're going to hate me here because I'm doing something uh, that we didn't discuss beforehand. But let's try and bring back the guest asking the next guest a question, given mm. that Jeff and Dave are both eye racing connoisseurs. So we had an idea at the beginning, and I think we just kind of forgot about it by about episode five. It was like, this is going to be like this our thing. And then it, it stopped being our thing. <laughs> so uh, we have Dave Cam coming on the show next Sunday. Jeff, you can ask Dave Cam a question, and we will then put that question to him live during the show. What is All your right. question? Dave, you race a lot of cars on both road and oval side on iRace. You and I first met in a fixed setup tour modified series race at Iowa, where Anthony Alfredo and I battled to the end and he won it over by a couple thousandths of a second. Now, with that in mind and your experience on both, what cars do you think perform better? Would you rather do stock cars on an oval with something you're less experienced in, or would you rather run the stock cars on a road course since you have more experience over on a roadside? Which do you prefer more? Because I know you've done both. That's my question to Dave. <laughs> Ideal. That was a good question with some context. What we need to do, Chris, is we need to like clip that up so we can play it during the show. Can be done. We can definitely <laughs> can do that. Done. There we go. Technology <laughs> knows no bounds. <laughs> Jeff, we, this was a fabulous episode. Again, thank you for opening our eyes to the oval racing and even a little bit of the eye racing world. Because like I said... Us road guys have the benefit of just having almost our, our pickings of games where we can just pick and choose between a bunch of different ones. But uh, it makes a lot more sense to why iRacing is so strong in its, in its foothold of oval racing and NASCAR. Uh, is there anything that you want to share with our audience that, you know, direct them to your site or anything like that? Well, if you're ever looking for setups on iRacing, be sure to head over to www.maconeysetupshop.com. We have a lot of really cool things in the works. Our road program is growing, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, Daniel Civisvavo does an amazing job. We have setups for the Porsche, Ferrari, and Mercedes GT3 in both the IMSA and VRS series. We have the Porsche, Aston Martin, and uh, Mercedes GT4 cars for the series that runs there. We have LMP2s for IMSA and ESS. We have Formula 3, Formula 4, and Formula 1 all on the roadside because I know road is popular. So be sure to check those out if you're on the oval side. Or you want to dive in, check out the subscriptions page. The best thing you can do, in my opinion, if you're going to get setups from us is get a subscription. The all asphalt subscription <coughs> covers everything from legends, cup cars, as well as all of our road setups, $30 USD. A month. Check it out at www.maconeysetupshop.com backslash subscriptions. We also have setup guides. We have coaching. We have booklets. We have all this. We have a paint shop. We have all this different, uh, all these different services available. Be sure to check it out. If you ever have any questions, message Facebook, Twitter, any guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Expose you to my personal favorite car track combo on the service tour modified. Well, thank you again, Jeff. And then Tom, is there anything you want? Any closing words that you'd like to tell our viewers? No. No. Thank okay. You very well. Much. <laughs> Thanks, as always, guys. You know, we're GridFinder, so if you want to follow us and get updates from 
either the GridFinder website or even Sim Sunday's podcast. Just search GridFinder and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all over the place. Of course, we thank our sponsor, Track Racer, at trackracer.com. So if you're looking to upgrade your Sim setup, go ahead and go there. And other than that, we will see you next week for Dave Cam and some more iRacing. Thanks for being here. See ya.